Hello and welcome to People, Places, Power with me, Nick Cole. And me, Simon Anhold. In this podcast, we think about issues of international reputation, foreign policy, and a few other things along the way. And today, we're thinking about the value of uh, place branding and activities to develop uh, soft power for countries that are the least developed. Is this a useful tool, a useful strategy, or is it a wicked waste of valuable resources? So, uh, Simon, what do you make of that proposition? Waste of money? I have a horrible feeling that's a direct quote, actually, from me, because I've written written more times than I care to remember that so-called nation branding is a wicked waste of taxpayers' money. Um, and that the governments that practice it uh, shouldn't just not be in power, they should be in jail. Um, And this is, I've always held, particularly true for least developed countries, Um, which is not to say that a better image wouldn't benefit them. That's not the thing I doubt. Um, There's no doubt whatsoever that one of the things holding back poorer countries uh, is their negative image. Um, and this is uh, this is part of the problem. It's one of the reasons why I've often said that that uh, the images of countries um, are in fact one of the principal reasons for the persisting or growing inequalities on the planet, because uh, poor countries not only have to cope with uh, weak institutions and weak economies, they also have to cope with the negative impact of a weak reputation. Anything they do that's good will be perceived to be bad or just ignored or overlooked. Mm-hmm. Or or disbelieved. And so they they are constantly battling against this this headwind of negative Mm -hmm. perceptions and negative expectations. So no question whatsoever that the poorer you are, the more you need a good image. But the question is, of course, as always, how do you achieve a better image? And the starting point for answering that question, I think, is always, to what extent do you deserve a better image? I mean, it sounds like a dumb question, but I think pretty much all countries I've ever met start with the assumption that they deserve a better image than they've got. And it's mm-hmm. not always true. Mm-hmm. So well, I know opinion. that you have, there are presidents in this world, former presidents in this world, to whom you have said, "Do you does your country have a, a bad image because it's actually a pretty crappy place? No. <laughs> so um, you've, you've put that directly to people, so um, uh, politicians. Um, but um, so... If, if you have a country, if you're, you're running a country, what's the best way to go about it? What, what foundational questions should you ask? What's the, uh, uh, the, the, the best way forward? Do you uh, accentuate your positives? Mm. Um, who do you call? Mm. Um, is it, uh, are, are the image consultants and um, the people who develop tourist promotion campaigns the wrong people to be talking to? Yeah, well, let, let, let's unpack some of that. Um, I think the last point is probably the, in, in some ways, the simplest one to, to respond to. And we've said this over and over again, both of us during these conversations, that it's absolutely vital to distinguish robustly between sector-specific promotional activities, like tourism promotion or investment promotion or cultural promotion, mm-hmm. and the attempt to manage the overall image of the country. Of course, they're connected. 
no doubt whatsoever. Um, plenty of countries, uh, as a result of having done successful tourism promotion over many generations, have ended up with a better image overall. But the idea that you can tackle uh, sector-specific promotion and overall national image with the same tools is where I think an awful lot of governments get unstuck and where they waste a lot of money. And, and the distinction, uh, as we, we've both discussed on, on many occasions, is a fairly simple one. If you're doing, for example, tourism promotion, you are basically selling a product. You've got a product which is called a holiday in this country, and you've got a target audience out there, people who might be in the market for a holiday in that country. And your job, therefore, is fundamentally a communicative one. You've got to probably buy media and send a message across to those potential uh, purchasers that says, buy this, it's good. So that's advertising, it's marketing, it's promotion, call it what you want. It's very straightforward. It's actually perfectly honest. There's nothing wicked about it. And it works. If you do it well and you spend enough money on it and you get your messages across in the right way, scientifically, having first analyzed your target audience and their drivers and their motivations and all the rest of it, you will get more tourists. It's very straightforward. And that's why very often I find myself saying to governments, look, forget all this nation branding stuff. Just spend some money. If tourism is what you need for your economic growth, spend the money on tourism. Don't mess around with branding because branding is such a, a very curious concept, which most people don't understand. And the people who do understand it all understand it differently. Um, yes. On the other hand, when you, know, when you and I talk about national profile or national um, image, what we're really talking about is this craze for trying to fix the overall image of your country. And if that's the mm -hmm. problem, if that's what you're trying to tackle, then a promotional activity doesn't work because you're not selling anything. You're not saying to people, buy this product, it's good. You're saying, you will change your mind about this country. And everybody knows what that is. That's government propaganda. It's propaganda mm -hmm. from a foreign government. And people will quite rightly ignore it. They probably won't even notice it's there because it's such an odd message and goes way over their heads. So unless you're actually selling something, communications are the wrong thing, in my view. And I've always found that to be so. But having said all that, um, <laughs> that was your last point. And the previous one was was simply what, what should uh, poor countries do? Well, if, if, they're, if they're certain that their image is holding them back, in other words, they've measured it, it's not just hearsay. It's not just every time I meet one of our ambassadors, they say that people misunderstand us. It's got to be properly researched because if you're spending government right. money, it needs to be measurable and transparent and accountable. Um, and so if you, having measured your image amongst your target groups around the world, you discover that you genuinely do have um, a bad image and it's genuinely, mm -hmm. genuinely objectively worse than you deserve, then the next question is to say, is that image negative or is it just weak? In other words, how, is it that people have just never heard of us and don't know the first thing about us and don't care about us? Or mm -hmm. on the other hand, do they think they know all about us and know they don't like us? Because those are very different scenarios. And you can be... Um, you can be hated and not ignored, and that's something that can be worked with. Or you can just be overlooked, and that's very hard to do anything about. Because last time I checked, there are 205 countries out there, and most people just mm -hmm. don't have room in their minds to think about another one.
But, uh, you know, just to, to tease out what you're saying here, you know, you're making a very important point that can be applied to all communication, and that is you listen first. Yep. Not based on gut instinct, but on uh, as, as much research as, as you can do. And I think you're also pointing to a, a very important distinction. Um, when you listen, you can mm. establish the shape, the profile of your national brand. That mm. is the feelings people have in responding to the idea of your country. Uh, and that is not the same thing as an attempt to actually refine or redirect or create an image through this process that is uh, or collection of processes that people call branding. Yeah. Um, and uh, brands seem to be there whether or not we, whatever a country does, for better mm. or worse, mm-hmm. um, uh, there's a sort of some uh, thing is evoked in, in the mind when you uh, think of a country or minimally for the places that aren't well known, at least people have a set of responses to say the Caribbean or mm. Latin America. Uh, those places are, are branded and carried within um, mm. each of us, whether or not the countries there spend any money on making it um, uh, positive. Yeah. Um, the, prob- the problem there, of course, is that the vast majority of regions um, that, that, that we're talking about, which have negative images, or rather, I should say, the vast majority of countries that have weak or negative images, uh, weak images that are not known about, are in regions that have a negative effect on the image of the countries in them. So right. um, almost by definition, if you're a country with a weak image within a region that has a positive image, then you don't really have a problem. So the Faroe Islands, for example, is a country with a very weak image that nobody knows anything about. But they do know, many of them, that it's within the Nordic area. And the Nordic mm-hmm. area has a very good image. So all the Faroes needs to do is to make sure people know that it's actually not in the Red Sea, but in the North Atlantic. And then everything's all right because they say, oh, you're Scandinavian. So you must be great. And your image is no really pyramids nice. here. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so, no pyramids in the Faroe Islands. Right. <laughs> yes. And just and pay no attention to the whales. The, uh, is the other one they need to do. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, uh, and we could see that looking at, I did some work a while ago on the image of Aruba. Mm. And really unfairly, just because they were in the Caribbean, they were included on lists of tax havens, even though Aruba is not a tax haven. Uh, The image of um, the Caymans is so strong that it had been applied to other places um, that were located nearby, uh, quite unfairly. And, and, we, and we know this. And, and you know, if your country image is a vacuum, then that's what's going to flow into that vacuum, um, the default perceptions surrounding your, your neighbourhood, because what else are people going to, uh, going to think about you? But I think what, what's interesting then is what comes next in the process, which is, which is very simply the question, why? So, because the, the, you, you've said this many times, in fact, I, uh, very admirably, you've stated that um, one of the principles of public diplomacy is listening. Um, and there's a lot more listening to do before governments can start uh, then calling in the PR agencies or whatever the hell they think they need to do. Um, because the next question is why? If you decide on the basis of scientific measurement that your problem is a weak image, 
In other words, nobody has any idea who you are or where you are or what you do or what you make. Um, then the question you have to ask yourself is, well, how come? Why is it that nobody knows the first thing about us? Is it just because we're very small or we're very poor in common with the countries that we're talking about today? Um, or is it because we're not very interesting? Is it because we're mm. not somehow relevant to the lives of people in other countries? Right. And by the same token, if you discover that your image is negative, in other words, people do think about you, but what they think about you is bad, again, the next question is why? What are they thinking about right. that's so bad and where does that come from? And this is the point where I think government officials tend to be, in a sense, the worst managers of national reputation because they were born in their product. They live and breathe mm -hmm. it. Their grandparents were born there. And their love of it is in their blood. And, you know, if you're the brand manager of Coca-Cola, then you're considered to be a good brand manager because you're able to be so completely objective about the strengths and weaknesses of the product. And that's one of the things that makes you a good brand manager. But nobody I've ever met is objective about the strengths and weaknesses of their own country. And so this is the point where it becomes very difficult. And nine times out of 10, when you ask governments, so why have you got this negative image? They will answer by saying, well, people are just ignorant. People are just yes. stupid. Or if only they came here, they'd see that it's not true. But none of those are satisfactory answers. If you treat your audience as stupid or ignorant, you're not going to get anywhere. It may be true, but you won't get anywhere. You have to think constructively and you have to think forensically and say to yourself, so where did it come from? Because unless you know where it came from, you stand no chance right. of being able to fix it. And I, I think that, that to, to me, one of the, the key thing in what you're saying is this concept of relevance. Mm. And um, I, I've seen countries waste money developing narratives around things that are of interest to them and yep. make them feel special, but that are just not relevant to anyone else. Yes. Um, and um, we, you know, we know that what's really important in the world is not a a positive image, but a positive reality, mm. and a relevant uh, and a reality that's positive in a in a relevant way. Yeah. What, a, what uh, a, and what's your country done for me this week? That's right. That's right. Kind of, that's that's, right. Question, that's right. And it may be that just being there as a aspirational place to visit mm. helps. That, for example, Tahiti. Mm. is relevant to the world just by being Tahiti, for the mythology around Tahiti, that, yeah. that's helpful and part of people's perception in a way that the Cook Islands um, mm. are, are not relevant and, yes. and don't uh, spark in, in people's um, imagination in, in, the, in, the same, um, in the same way. Um, yes. but, you know, can you think of examples of, of places that have successfully developed relevance um, and uh, appropriate strategic spending to mm. increase relevance for uh, an international audience or external audience? Well, the funny thing is that the, the, all the examples one can think of are basically examples of sector-specific activity. So, for example, um, yes. the, 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 the United Arab Emirates has successfully made itself a holiday destination where there was not one before. And it's achieved that by building the infrastructure, building the hotels, building the resorts, 
and building the market by spending a lot of money on very noisy and effective and attractive tourism promotion. Now, if you want to call mm-hmm. that branding, of course, you're welcome to, but I call that simple promotion. Um, they've got a product, mm-hmm. they develop that product, they spent the money on developing the product, and they spent the money on promoting it. And all over the world, you can see dozens and dozens of examples of countries that have spotted an economic opportunity in a particular sector. They've built it, they've marketed it, and that's what's created, at least in that area, a better image for them. Now, over time, that may be inadequate because, of course, uh, it's a rather narrow sort of image and it focuses the marketplace into a particular sector, which may not provide much economic security for the country. The classic example being, well, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Aruba. Uh, Jamaica is perhaps an even better example because Jamaica is famous for having um, been enormously successful at promoting its tourism offering over generations. But the problem that it inherits further down the line is that it's it's typecast, it's stereotyped as nothing but a tourism destination. And in the latter part of the 20th century, when Jamaica starts to want to broaden its economic base away from just tourism, because it's a very fickle and very cyclical and somewhat unpredictable industry, as we've seen, all it takes is a pandemic and and you're dead in the water. um, It finds it very, very difficult to gain any acceptance or credibility for Jamaica as a producer of anything other than the sandy beaches and foreign-owned hotels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, call centers would have been and perhaps could still be a great business for Jamaica, and yet it's not the expectation that people have. And this is where um, sectoral promotion falls short and overall brand analysis starts to become more useful because it cuts across sectors. Other examples uh, out, out there of where, where this has uh, worked for a place, because UAE is able to bring such amazing resources to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I suppose it's been interesting to see how Rwanda has worked developing um, digital infrastructure and, and being the, the most wired place yes. in uh, Southern Africa. That's That's helped to make it relevant in a uh, in, a, in a completely new way, uh, yes. given it something to talk about other than the um, uh, uh, mountain gorillas. Yes. Estonia, in a similar way, is beginning to be widely recognized as um, the breakout country uh, in the Baltics uh, because yes. of its, its technology um, entrepreneurs and, um, and, and the advanced technology it uses in the way that it governs its own society. Um, its e-government is, is as, as we know, uh, pretty advanced stuff. Uh, Georgia, likewise, um, although at a, at a slightly earlier stage in, in, its, in, in the development of that area. Now, those are both countries which show that even if you're in a region that's not normally associated with that kind of stuff, you can punch through with technology. Now, again, is this branding? No, I don't think it is. I think it's industrial specialization. I think it's um, it's a mixture of the the modern equivalent of governments backing winners. And I think it's it's good strategy. Um, it's, it's grand strategy, not brand strategy. It's a country figuring out where its uh, economic strengths can come from, what it's got the capability of building, what the world needs and what it can provide. And therefore, as a result of doing that well and effectively and systematically, 
over a long period, it begins to acquire a bit of a reputation for doing it well. And that's the mechanism. There is no other mechanism. Um, and this is why um, time after time after time, we see countries, and let's say it again, perhaps particularly poor countries, trying to take shortcuts, trying to fix the brand without actually fixing the product, in many cases without even having a product. And there's this, there's this sort of idea that you can somehow uh, create, fabricate an image out of what I don't know, out of narrative, out of message, out of story, and shortcut yourself into uh, the situation where you're an admired and reputed um, country. But it just doesn't work like that. Human beings just don't work like that. Well, I find that if you look at the narratives that that are created for these places, they all sound the same, that suddenly you'll have somebody saying, we are a proud, country X has home to a proud people, a mix of... Um, you know, a venerable past and an energetic uh, community looking to the future. And it's uh, it's not so much branding as blanding that everybody yeah. seems this bland, um, uh, exactly the same things are claimed for places yeah. that are geographically very, um, uh, very, very separate. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it's terrible to think how much money was spent to be told, uh, given a kind of a cookie cutter, Mm. Um, presentation. In fact, yeah. there are people who've satirized this, creating you know promotional uh, promotional videos where it all looks the same, and you've no idea which skyscraper you're looking at, that, uh, that which groaning uh, table in the intercontinental yeah. buffet um, yeah. you're, you're you're looking at. That, that um, was me. I made I made a video which was basically a montage of seventy uh, different national investment promotion videos. Um, and there were, I believe, I found seventeen shots of a chef with a lobster wearing a tall hat. Um, <laughs> yes. And and, the, and you know, you if you take the country off the end, you literally could not tell what country it is unless you happen to have been there and you recognise the the landmarks. They are all saying the same thing. But the interesting thing here is not to me even the fact that the this so called narrative may be right or wrong or original or unoriginal. It's what you do with it. And there's this assumption that you develop a narrative in order to then purvey that narrative. You find the story about what your country is for and where it's going in order to then tell that story to the world. And this is the big mistake because the world is not interested in narratives. There's no medium out there where you can actually um, uh, expose uh, international audiences to a narrative and they'll listen and they'll absorb it and they'll allow it to affect their perceptions of that country. That's just not the way it works. The narrative, if you insist on doing such a thing, is purely for internal purposes. It's the way that you tell yourselves what your story is going to be so that you can then enact it in policy. That's the right. point. Um, so, you know, occasionally I have been guilty of uh, talking to governments about what their national story could be in the future. But it is not, repeat not, so that they can then blow a bunch of taxpayers' money repeating that story to the world in the hope that people will somehow love it and believe it. That's just not what happens. It's so that they then have a strategy that they can work to. Yeah, I know I agree. And you can see how important it has been to South Africa, for example, to have a um, uh, a narrative um, being um, promulgated centrally. 
And that is well known internally. Almost nobody externally could tell you uh, what the current South African national narrative or national brand uh, is, uh, because it isn't meant for an international audience. It's to try and get the domestic audience to, uh, well, essentially, essentially tolerate one another and see um, uh, a, a, a shared future. Uh, you know, a good example of this, I think, is the I Love New York um, uh, on a micro scale, which was important for getting New Yorkers to behave in a positive way. It was like domestic quality control rather than uh, a, a, an important badge of, um, uh, you know, external uh, uh, pr promotion. You're yes. always going to need your own people to be their best selves. It's um, true. It's true. But I, I uh, again, I, I do I do find myself wondering the, the principle is unquestioned and unquestionable. And and I myself, when I first started writing on this topic 20 years ago or more, I used to babble enthusiastically about the importance of the citizens living the brand and all of this kind of stuff. And a lot of countries, I think, took that quite seriously. Um, who knows? It may be part of the reason why not only South Africa, but almost every African nation I've ever spoken to about this kind of stuff tend to focus on the domestic side first. It seems to be an African habit. The way of doing quote unquote nation branding in Africa is that you focus on the population first. And I think that may well be for similar reasons for the reason that I used to say it also. And it sounds logical, doesn't it? If you don't get the people living the same values, then what chance have you got of getting uh, uh, foreigners to believe in it? But I think thinking about it now, 20 years later, it's all very well to say that. But quite honestly, if you as a government really did have the power to unite people in a similar story about the country that they're in, you wouldn't be worrying about any of this stuff because you'd be the greatest leader that ever lived. And it's all very well to say this is the narrative that we want people to absorb. But how do you even do that? How many cases can you or I think of where a government really has come up with a story about the future of their country and has successfully encouraged, rather than attempted to force, its uh, citizens to believe in that story and provided the policy-based evidence and the economic reality where they can actually live that out and see that it works for them. I mean, you could count the countries that have done that on the fingers of one hand mm. in all of history. Mm. So, you know, it's all very well for, for, for me, aged 30-something, um, uh, to go around babbling <laughs> to governments about, you know, you need to make people live the brand. But the reality of the matter is that it hardly matters what you waste taxpayers' money on if you're going to waste it. Wasting it on sending out narratives about who you think you are or wasting it on sending out narratives to your population about what you want them to think the country is, either way, it's a waste of money. And, and I've seen... Uh, South Africa particularly, focus on the domestic target audience to the extent that they seem to have lost touch with reality and what they're actually doing here. I remember I was in South Africa a few years ago talking to the Brand, Brand South Africa people, and they explained to me, we've, we're focusing primarily on getting South Africans to believe in the story first. And I said, um, so how's that going? And they said, well, we know because we measure it, and they do measure it, and we're, we're nowhere near where we need to be yet. And I said, well, how near are you? And they said, well, only about 85% of South Africans are actually proud to be South African. I said, 85%? That sounds to me That's like true. dangerous, flammable nationalism. 
you are a tiny state. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think there's a lot of countries that would be uh, would be overjoyed if they had 85% national pride. You know? I mean 85% national pride is 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 like uh, is like Nazi Germany. I mean that's 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 dangerous flammable stuff to be playing with and I said to them you know I think maybe you should consider that you've now won that particular battle and start thinking about the rest of the world which is the real target for you because frankly um you know uh 85% is is uh, amazing um too high dangerously high so i i think you know our message uh, probably or my message at any rate to developing countries particularly in africa is um don't get caught up with this idea that your primary target is your own population um saying that i don't mean that the that the domestic population are unimportant of course uh the domestic population have to be with you and of course the domestic population um are um, ultimately more important to uh, to the country and to the government than a bunch of foreigners um but selling them a story as an alternative to selling the foreigners a story is is no better and no worse it's not the way to do but, it but maybe maybe simon it depends on the uh, potential for separatism for uh community tension mm-hmm. and um uh you know there are many places in the world where uh the national narrative is holding um community violence at at, at 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 bay or intercommunal yes. tension at bay uh and um they have uh, that um uh dreadful alternative at the back of their at the back of their uh at the back of their minds yeah and um, you're, you're you're absolutely right about that and and for that reason sometimes i've even found myself wondering if in fact maybe um the cause and effect um model it actually works the other way around um that if you've if you're if you've got the country as to some degree as a whole working towards earning itself a more useful role within the community of nations that's actually maybe the best way of getting a sense of coherence at home um because to start yeah. the other way around is notoriously difficult especially if you've got um a fissile society uh, a fissiparous society um as so many countries do because as you know I'm always complaining about this countries are just too big uh, to hold together right um so if you've got that problem i have seen cases where um to start talking about uh, and doing stuff about our role in the world as a nation where do we sit what does the world think about us that can sometimes have the effect of making uh, people's domestic differences feel quite small and relatively unimportant <laughs> yes Yes, absolutely and it's very common for people to say I only felt really like a citizen of country X when I went uh, overseas. Right. And the, uh, so it's sometimes when we're out in the world that we encounter uh, ourselves as national subjects or national citizens yes. uh, for for the uh, for the first time. And suddenly you're not a northerner or a southerner, uh, suddenly you're not black or white, suddenly you are just uh what what it says on your passport um and that's sometimes a good thing not always not always <laughs> because it is also a massively reductional if that's a word um it reduces you down to way below your real meaning but in certain circumstances it can be an awful lot better than the alternatives 
Well, I think that's a, um, all we have time for this week, but um, a wonderful uh, question that opens up all kinds of other things to think and talk about down the way. I'm still Nick Cull. I'm still Simon Anhold. And thank you for listening. <laughs>